0: Welcome to STEMiverse podcast episode 51. In this episode, Peter talks with Christy Evans. Christy has a deep interest in STEM initiated by a science degree at Flinders University, then further developed by a strong classroom practice from her first days of teaching. Within the classroom, Christy engages students through problem-based learning with real-world applications using a cross-curricular inquiry model. Christy's enthusiasm for both the sciences and technologies has enabled her to have a significant impact not only at her side but across several schools. Teachers recognize and are enlightened by her progressive pedagogies and connection to authentic context and are thereby motivated to adopt this way of teaching. This is STEMverse podcast episode 51. STEMiverse is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. Our mission is to help educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. Whether you are a professional or casual teacher teaching in a classroom or a parent or caretaker teaching at home, this podcast brings you the knowledge and experiences of practitioners, academics, entrepreneurs, and lifelong learners who are passionate about education and strive every day to help our children prepare for life in a world of radical change, and why not, abundance. Hi, Christy. Thank you for joining me on another episode of STEMiverse. How are you today?
1: I'm well. Thank you very much for having me.
0: (laughs) My pleasure. Um, Where are you?
1: Um, So at the moment, I'm at uh, CV Downs Primary School. I'm actually sitting in my office. Uh, I'm the STEM coordinator, here as well as a 6-7 teacher. So um, (laughs) I'm responsible for rolling out STEM uh, reception to 7 here.
0: And that is somewhere in South Australia, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, CV Downs is south of Adelaide along the coast.
0: Right. And for our international audience, uh, Adelaide is the capital of South Australia. It's, It's where the big bite at the bottom of Australia is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I put it in, in my mind. So the bite, the shark bite. So Christy, could you take a yeah. few minutes and tell us about your background in, in a nutshell your journey in education that brings you to where you are now?
1: Sure, well, it's um, been a long journey, but I actually, <laughs> uh, when I left school, I went and studied a science degree. Um, I didn't actually go straight into teaching. I've had several careers uh, before going to teaching. So uh, as a mature age student, I went back to uni and studied education Hmm. um, and then did uh, various sort of uh, stints from reception. I taught French for a while all the way up to uh, teaching six, seven. So I've always been a primary school teacher. Hmm. um, And when I hit teaching year sevens, I sort of found my niche. I've always put a lot of science into my teaching just because that's my passion. That's my first uh, interest. And I've found that students are automatically engaged in science because science is, I guess, um, fosters that curiosity and uh, it enables kids to sort of find out reasons why things are are the way they are. Um, So Mm. in a nutshell, that's sort of my journey. I've been to three different schools um, and I've done, you know, uh, various different year levels um, in those schools. And I guess my passion for STEM has been only in the in the last 3 years and uh i guess linking the sciences technology and maths with industry and bringing industry into the classroom is what gets me really excited about mm-hmm. about stem yeah and i think it's bringing professionals into the into the school and into the classroom gives kids uh, the chance to see what is actually happening in in real world in terms of science and they can really relate to what they're learning in class to what's happening out there in in the real world
0: yeah grounding uh, your teaching to reality (laughs) how the real world works yeah
1: yeah Yeah, that's right and and i think that's what's really important you can't just teach in isolation it's got to have meaning for the kids yeah
0: context (laughs) Um, context i I, I wonder when you started you know your your degree in science i think um, you studied at Flinders University, uh, were yeah. you at that point interested in becoming a teacher or were you there purely for the science?
1: Uh, you know, uh, when I left school, I said to my mother that I wanted to be a teacher and mm. she was a teacher and she said, no, don't become a teacher. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so I said, okay, um, she She had very different experiences, but... Uh, I went and um, studied science. I actually did quite well at school and mm. um, got into a science degree and thought I wanted to be a marine biologist actually at mm. the time. And I was, you know, engaged in that, um, but there was a, mis- a significant laboratory component back then and I couldn't see myself in a laboratory. Oh. I wanted to be out in the field. So I, I got a job as um Um, with the Department of Fisheries here in Adelaide and uh, was part of the Barramundi breeding program Hmm. for a while, um, which I absolutely love. But I I think I was always meant to be a teacher um, and now I am a teacher, I can see that this is where I'm supposed to be.
0: Interesting. So you wanted to be a teacher and uh, somehow you you veered off that. Uh, You started a career... Uh, at our government department and then at some point you decided that, no, that, that thought that I had in the past, uh, being a teacher, I, I think that's what I want to do. Was there something in particular that sparked that or were you perhaps dissatisfied with your role at that point and you look something else?
1: Yeah, I, I hit 30 and yeah. I thought, well, <laughs> you know, I have to be doing something else that I really love and mm-hmm. I'm not really loving what I'm doing right yeah. now. Um, I had my own children at school, uh, volunteered at the school for um, learning assistant programs. And I think that I watched their teachers teach them and I thought, you know, this is where I want to be, this is what I want to do. So uh, a massive change for me in terms of my career and and my lifestyle, but uh, certainly a change for the best.
0: So then you decided to go back to university and study education, right? And that was the beginning of your new career, yeah, that's so. right. Yeah, yeah,
1: and, and that was hard because I hadn't, you know, written an essay for a really long yeah. time, and <laughs> um, I certainly hadn't studied the philosophy of education, which is all about uh, which is first year. So I found that really challenging, but it also made sense to me, and um, I was really excited about what I was learning.
0: So speaking of uh, philosophy of education, it's actually one of my questions for you. Do you uh, have a like a particular teaching style that you developed after being a teacher for a few years, like some kind of philosophy or methodology? Like, you know, uh, teachers that uh, I've spoken in the past uh, swear by problem-based learning, for example, or project-based learning and things like that. What's yours?
1: Yeah, I think I'm inspired by uh, Kath Murdoch's inquiry model, However, it's important to distinguish between project and problem-based learning. Mm -hmm. So project-based learning I see as is teacher-directed and the teacher is presenting an outline, a task outline, and the students are doing a project around a certain curricular area. Problem-based learning is more of an authentic problem-solving inquiry process. And so it's not teacher-led, it's student-led, and so that is where That's what I believe is important, that it's a student-led, teacher-guided process to solve a real-world problem. So whilst I follow an inquiry uh, model, which is guided through the engineering design process, it is all about solving a real-world problem, not setting the kids uh, a free-for-all project.
0: Interesting. Um, I always find it useful for me to understand New concepts like these, <laughs> with an example, yep. would you be able to give us an example of, say, an inquiry model used in a class, and then we can do something similar for, say, a problem-based learning? I should say, uh, what would those look like in your classroom?
1: Um, so I see, a, I guess a project-based <laughs> learning approach would be such that you uh, say the the curriculum outcome that you're looking for is Year Seven History in Ancient Worlds. Mm-hmm. So, the teacher would set um, maybe they can make a, a choice on what project they want to do. Maybe they're doing a project on ancient China or ancient India, ancient Africa, but the outcome would be exactly the same. so the, the teacher would prescribe, "This is what your project oh, is going to look like. Yes. Um, it's going this is the rubric for your project." Uh, These are the criteria that your project, you can choose which ancient world you want to do, but you need to address culture. You need to look at, do do me a timeline. Mm -hmm. So it's very prescriptive. Yeah. Project-based learning is even down to the crux of developing the question that you're going to solve. The students develop that question. So for example, the way we run project-based learning at CV Downs is we have an industry partner come into the to the school and present a problem that they're having in industry everything from local kindergarten to uh, national construction companies Mm -hmm. come and talk to the kids now that's really overwhelming for students but it makes it real for them so once they've presented that problem the students then develop a question that they can answer in terms of solving that problem and that that question is actually really hard to develop takes a lot of time it's a big inquiry question a we call it non-googleable question Um, and then the students then can develop smaller guiding questions to help guide their research but it's all it's student 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 the whole way through and the students develop their own solution the teacher's role is facilitating that process but also looking at the curriculum um, and making the curriculum connections so that they know where the students are going but it's not about the solution it's all about the process so teachers are assessing not only content but also assessing general capabilities development of uh, skills for learning problem solving critical and creative thinking and Mm. and literacy and numeracy skills
0: yeah so all all those come together Uh, I was yeah I found um, the case in which uh, a construction company came to your school Collaborated with your school to solve a problem. I believe that uh, that that company had that was in early twenty seventeen. Do you know which case I'm talking about?
1: Um, if it's a construction company, it was probably uh, Fulton Hogan's Eckert Creek problem.
0: Yes, that's was right. Was it?
1: Yeah, it was about that's waterways.
0: Right. Correct. Yeah, no, it's coming back to me. Uh, well, would you mind telling us a little bit about that project and um, maybe describe it as a story? And uh, what was the problem that the students solved and how did it all go, Michael, from the student's perspective?
1: All right. Um, So Forton Hogan Constructions sent two industry professionals to the school uh, and presented a problem around a water-regulating structure. So they were installing a regulating structure in a waterway. And the problem was, well, how do you do that without restricting the flow of water? Downstream, there's um, farmers that use that water. They're guaranteed 60 megalitres a day by um, SA Water. Mm -hmm. And so you can't just cut off their water source in order to build the structure and then, you know, let it flow through. So we're talking about construction for about 8 to 12 months. So the students Mm -hmm. had to design a solution whereby they can reroute the water around the construction site so that those farmers don't use lose their uh, water source. Right. So the initial presentation, the students were pretty overwhelmed. I encouraged the professionals to use terminology that they would use in their industry, um, and that's about developing that vocabulary yeah. for students. So a, they were overwhelmed. But we also spent a long time unpacking that presentation, um, looking really carefully at the constraints and their success criteria. Um, and developing a question um, that they could answer. Now, a lot of other smaller questions came out of that about environment, about Indigenous perspectives, because there's a heritage area that mm-hmm. um, there were some clear requirements around. Um, so once the kids developed their questions, they sort of fell out into about six research groups. And we had uh, students working in biology on plants, biology animals, Indigenous Agriculture, we had a maths group, and then we had, I don't know, there were seven groups anyway. Oh, it's okay,
0: yeah, just uh, a summary.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, so, and in those groups, they started to answer those smaller questions that I mentioned earlier uh, to develop a solution. Once they developed their solution, it sort of fell out into three different solutions, all very plausible and the students really believed in their solution. The kids pitched their solution back to uh, Fulton Hogan for critique and then the students made changes to their design. They increased their understanding around that design and then spent time then producing a final product and then they had a very formal, very polished presentation back to Fulton Hogan. Um, I must say they were the Fulton Hogan... Um, professionals were absolutely blown away by the students' understanding and their presentations. It, it was really impressive. Um, we had a student design a 3D model of the solution in Minecraft. Oh, wow. Uh, we That's had, awesome. yeah, we had um, static models. We had online presentations, Prezies, websites. We had all sorts of things that the students produced. And I'm talking about 11- and 12-year-olds really having a very clear understanding of construction methodologies and design ideas and using the appropriate terminology to describe those things. So I, I could not have wished for anything greater. That was their first go at problem-based learning. Mm. Um, and for them to come up with what they came up with was, was outstanding,
0: yeah. So we're talking about, what, 15- or 16-year-old kids?
1: Eleven and twelve year
0: olds eleven and twelve yes year seven is that correct
1: yeah sixes and sevens
0: yeah that's that is like very impressive uh, what was the, yeah. the um, during the the time that the groups were uh, deliberating as opposed doing the work, were they connected with any actual engineers the two operators, mentors perhaps guide them through the process or were they totally on their own
1: yeah no absolutely um during the research process, we had uh, mentors come into the classroom and guide the students through some of those really tricky construction or, or specific ideas. So we mm. had a retired engineer come and work with the group. Uh, we had a scientist come and work with a group. An engineer um, in the environmental area came and worked with a group. At the end of the day, as a teacher, you can't possibly know all of the ins and outs of um, an engineer's role or a scientist's role. But there are people out there willing to come in and share their knowledge and talk with students to help them solve a problem. The important thing with mentors, though, is that that they don't give the kids the answers. Um, And so before these people come into the classroom, whether it be the industry professionals or mentors, the teacher really needs to spend time with them, letting them know what that the teacher hopes for these students what their out- outcomes are and how they want them to help these kids rather than them giving away the answer because it's it's mm-hmm. much easier to just tell them how to solve it
0: Of course yeah like but that is not teaching right just... Yeah
1: right but these people are not teachers they're engineers yeah. and uh, so yeah
0: So how uh, like now, let's look at it from the engineer's point of view. So uh, an engineering construction company, you know, collaborates with uh, a school. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. engineers who've been in university and then in the, in, as part of their career for years, uh, in this case, uh, dealing with large scale, like one-year construction projects. And then they have to explain or to assist 11-year-old kids to solve a problem that know it's their job to solve how do they take it like uh, what kind of transformation do they have to go through to be able to do this because i don't think it's easy
1: no it's certainly not easy um and with any company they have some sort of or most large companies have some sort of a community service or um they give back to the community in some way so tapping into that, whether whether the company does a, a soup kitchen or comes to school and works with your students, it's important to t- tap into that and, and get them into the classrooms. But it does take some time to work with these people to just prepare them for what to expect working with uh, young people. We work with uh, year ones all the way through to year sevens. So mm-hmm. we work really closely with our mentors and our industry professionals to prepare them for that. Um, We work to develop their presentations together, make sure that the the vocabulary is appropriate, the information is clear. So it does take some time to prepare them to come into the classroom, but their response from our industry partners has been uh, that they are just thrilled to be (laughs) there. They are really pleased to be giving back to the community and inspiring young people to become engineers or scientists Um, I know uh, Fulton Hogan have a very strong graduate program in their company and uh, one of the arguments uh, they made just recently was why wouldn't we inspire young people to come Hmm. into our industry? We love our industry. Um, We think it's the way of the future and what a unique opportunity to get into primary schools where kids are actually making decisions about what they do and don't like in their learning um, Hmm. to inspire these students to work in uh, the STEM career paths.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Like, uh, we we think that companies are just too busy, you know, doing what they do for their customers and making uh, ends meet, and now it's a busy world out there, but they are really very happy to not just contribute, they see that as being part of a healthy industry, they want to inspire young kids at that age it's a critical age to get to look into engineering as uh, not just a place or a career path for making a living in the future but making a real difference so
1: yeah you're so right um and in primary school A lot of programs are targeted to high school and really those students, by the time they've made it to year nine, they've got a clear path forward into, you know, year 12 and then onto whatever career they take. Um, Inspiring primary school students, I think, is where we're going to make the shift, make the change, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly young girls, getting them excited about science nice and early will inspire them to take those courses in in high school. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the industry partners, I've asked many industry partners to be involved and I've never had anyone say no that they don't <laughs> want to be involved. As soon as they hear what we do and the outcomes that we achieve for our students, they want to be involved.
0: Could you drill into that a little bit more? How, how do you approach companies to invite them to do our collaboration project? And uh, imagine now that, you are receiving this question from a STEM teacher, could be somewhere in Australia, it could be overseas as well, saying that I'm really interested to have a project like that, but I don't know where to start. What kind of advice mm. would you give to them?
1: That's a common question. Mm. And I've spoken at, at many conferences about what we do. And that's the question that comes up all the time. Yes, I, I agree that it's a good way of doing things. How on earth do I start? Mm. How do I find an industry partner? And there are many places you can find industry partners. Local council is a really good place to start because there'll be lots of things, whether it's construction or development happening in local area that you can tap into. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just a matter of going to the uh, education related person at the council and having a conversation with them about what kind of changes are uh, being made in the area And uh, what what problems are they having with with Mm. them? I mean, my first construction company that I work with is my husband's company.
0: (laughs) There you go. Yeah.
1: So you start from what you know. Yeah. And once you've done one and the word gets out and parents start hearing about what their students are doing in their class and they come home so excited about maths and science they're yeah. quick to pass the word and I'm now in my fourth year of, of this way of teaching and I am inundated with people that want to work with students because they want to be a part of this change in education.
0: Hmm. I guess uh, look close in a nutshell. Your local council obviously usually has a lot going on. <laughs> but you know yeah. parents as well, parents could have either their own companies that could provide this type of collaboration or you know, access to companies that they are associated with somehow. So I guess you don't have to go too far. Just No, and actually
1: close. in major um, water and electricity companies, certainly in, in Australia, I'm not sure about overseas, they have an education outreach program. All mm-hmm. of them have one. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of contacting the right person and saying, you know, we want to bring... You into the classroom, we want to talk about issues around water or issues around electricity or uh, telecommunication services. And that is their job, that is mm-hmm. what they do. So they are looking for schools to come into. And, and work with students.
0: Yeah, great. Now, I'd like to shift over to the student side now. So you had those year seven students that worked on a fairly large scale problem. It's, it's not a blinking LED anymore. It's <laughs> diverting a whole waterway, <laughs> you know, affecting a lot of people, um, dealing with constraints and, and so on. And they eventually present their solution to a large organization to grown-ups <laughs> to engineers yeah. that must be a transformative experience so uh, what are some of the comments that, that you have heard these students saying to you and that, that the transformation that you saw in them uh, not just you know right after the end of this experience but you know going on a few years after that like were some of the students eventually taken into a a path that takes them through uh, a scientific or engineering career and especially girls if you saw any changes in in how girls are thinking about this.
1: So it's it's really interesting because your high flyers in your class are suddenly presented with there's no right answer. Hmm. And that is really overwhelming for those students. But the other kids that are maybe not so academic but um, are really engaged in problem solving and can see the meaning for it suddenly just come alive and you you suddenly notice the students that were maybe not as engaged in, in your uh, teaching as you would have wanted are suddenly really excited about this and have a higher level of engagement. Hmm because they see meaning in their learning. And that's sometimes for the first time. So they are coming to classes with questions about uh, maths or biology, because they need to know the answer in order to keep moving forward in their solution. So the changes in those students are significant. We've always got those kids that are really good at computer sciences, and suddenly they can develop a Minecraft model or, or hmm. they can take hmm. their interest at home and bring it to the classroom and suddenly people are asking about, you know, how are you doing that or, or um, how, can I, how can I help you or can you teach me how to do that?
0: There you go. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so that, that, that's uh, turning teaching on his head. The teacher becomes, so the student becomes a teacher now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they become the expert in that area of um, development or of that area of research. The students, their comments about what they're doing are so positive. They're excited about going to STEM lesson they still see it as something extra. They don't actually make the connection all the time in the fact that they're actually doing maths or science or whatever it is they're doing. They just see it as solving this problem for this company. Mm. It's really important and we need to focus and we've got a deadline and, you know, and interestingly, there's a lot of schools that are now offering um, in high school STEM learning programs Now, students can't apply for those programs if they haven't had experience in STEM or problem-based learning or digital technologies in primary school. Uh, So the changes we've seen from our year sevens going into high school is that they are accepted into these programs. They're applying for these programs because they want to continue this way of learning and then they're accepted in their programs. So since developing this program, we went from two or three students applying for science-based or STEM-based programs in high school to, we're talking now eight to ten kids applying, not only applying, actually being successful.
0: Yeah, great.
1: Which is, is huge. That, that's changed their career path, their learning path, their education. In terms of girls in uh, STEM, in science, when you have, I've actually got a five-six class that are working with Fulton Hogan again, um, and we had a, a day yesterday where Fulton came in and did some mentoring with the students, and it was really e- really interesting just to watch that happen. And the girls just absolutely zoomed to these um, industry mentors, driven with questions to be able to solve this problem. And it was the girls leading the discussion. It was the girls finding out the information. Hmm. Um, And when I spoke to David Evans and uh, Sam Zangari, who were the representatives afterwards, they said, these girls are so driven. They are the next scientists for sure. They're the next engineers for sure. So even they noticed the change in enthusiasm towards this way uh, of doing things from the girls.
0: Is there anything special that they had to do? You know, one of the problems that we have identified in, in past interviews here on STEM is that much of STEM education, because of the way that it's presented, like the, the tools, for example, that are used in the textbooks, they seem to be using more boy-related themes. And that turns off girls. Was there anything special that in this particular project with the engineering company had to be done in order to kind of balance it a bit?
1: Yeah, we got female scientists in, we got female oh. engineers mm, in. Mm. So, whilst a bit like teaching, most of the, the um, it's a female dominated area. Engineering is a male-dominated area, so we push really hard to get female engineers and scientists in the classroom so the students can actually see that that is something that they can do, that is an area that they can pursue. And the way women talk about their journey to their career is quite different to the way men talk about that. Yes. So we've had an environmental engineer um, in to talk to the students, a female We're actually using our local university, Adelaide University. They have an engineering graduate program, an outreach program that puts graduates Mm -hmm. out into uh, schools to talk about their learning and talk about where they're going in their career. Uh, So we've managed to secure three female um, engineering graduates to come to our school and and talk to our kids.
0: Right. So that's another trick, I suppose you can call it, uh, that you can use to get girls on board into science, have appropriate role models.
1: Yeah. U- universities are a great place to find mentors uh, for your problem-based learning as well. Yeah.
0: Great. Uh, I'd like to switch now to another very exciting experience that you had recently where you actually took on the high seas, right? <laughs> you went on a boat trip. I, I don't I think I can call it a cruise? <laughs> can you tell us about yeah, it? no,
1: no, not quite. <laughs> yeah, so I applied for the educator on board program through the CSIRO, and was one of two uh, teachers to be chosen to take a scientific voyage from Brisbane to Hobart on the RV Investigator, uh, which is a, a science research research ship and we participated in the scientific investigations that were actually happening on board. Um, So there were several things uh, going on. We had um, plankton sampling um, happening behind the ship uh, with the Mm. CPR, which is the um, continuous plankton recorder. I learned that on the way. And so uh, they were looking at the types of plankton uh, that are in the water between Brisbane and Hobart. And they're also looking at a particular problem with toxic algae that's happening in, at the moment in Tasmania, which is impacting the fishing industry. Right. So they were taking um, core samples in and around the Bass Strait to work out whether this, uh, this algal, algal bloom problem is a new problem, or whether it's actually been happening for hundreds of years. Right. So they're trying to work out how they can predict these algal blooms and um, what they can do for the fisheries department in terms of warning them when the algal might bloom. Yeah. Uh, The other thing is we worked with the Navy. They're doing some oceanography and meteorology to um, have a look at the, record the sea floor. To help their navigation through those waters, oh, right. uh, so it's you know really interesting stuff, uh, and the the scientists on board were just so excited and passionate about uh, their area of science.
0: This is this was a trip that is regular, right? It, it's it wasn't a trip that was organised by the CSIRO specifically for you for the teachers, but essentially joined a scientific trip that was already scheduled and got an insider's view of what scientists are actually doing in the field. Is that how it worked?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we are essentially along for the ride. Hmm. Um, They are already on this. They don't change anything for us and it's just a matter of us observing, getting involved in what's happening on the ship and it's just such a unique opportunity for teachers to get out and see what's happening in science, particularly with CSIRO, and then yeah. bringing that that knowledge, um, that enthusiasm, um, back to the classroom. And so, part of our role as the teachers, as the educators on board, is to develop a STEM plan, a STEM unit based on what we uh, worked on on the on the ship. Um, so mm. my six, sevens are actually working on algal blooms in Tasmania and linking it to uh, South Australian uh, fisheries.
0: So there's another problem then that your students will be working on, thanks to your experience.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it was just such a unique experience. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. <laughs> but, um, but I think I can do it again.
0: <laughs> uh, how did that, Oh, yeah. Somebody else <laughs> has to take a turn, right? Otherwise, uh, yeah. Yeah, you'd be on <laughs> every trip. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, how did that change you as a teacher and perhaps even as a person? Because you were already doing a lot of project-based and uh, problem-based uh, learning. As you said, you had your industry collaboration. So everything was reality-based, and then you go on a boat trip, a research boat trip, uh, you see a lot of passionate scientists, you know, studying bacteria in in waterways and mapping the seafloor. So you saw a totally different aspect of how science and engineering is applied. How did that change you, I suppose, in, in, you know, both in terms of your passion for science, but also practically, how do scientists collect Data uh, from experiments and, and follow the scientific process. Has it changed the way that you do a work like that in your classroom?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're so right in, in that the the I've never seen scientists so passionate about a microorganism before in my life. <laughs> but it is infectious. So, um, and also I watch their processes very carefully. How they record, how they classify. So I brought that back to the classroom in terms of uh, a very clear way of collecting authentic data and then using that data to influence decisions and changes that we can make in the environment. Um, mm-hmm. So we actually purchased uh, some microscopes to be able to look at plankton for the students because mm-hmm. we I want them to look at real plankton, identify it, record it scientifically and then try and classify that particular plankton. Wow. Um, now I've done classification of species for years and years and years. That is part of the year seven curriculum, but the way I'm doing it now is directly in line with how scientists do it in the real world. Yeah. And so showing students that way of doing things will set them up to be successful in you know future science, whether it's high school hmm. or university or in the real world. So for me, it was also about um, learning how to do things correctly. My science degree was A, a long time ago, and B, wasn't on um, plankton. Uh, So I've done a lot of learning around plankton. But at the end of the day, what the students classify in terms of the year seven curriculum is relevant. It could be plankton, it could be tigers, it it doesn't matter. Mm. But the fact that they're classifying for a real purpose to solve a problem again means makes meaning for their learning and uh, that authentic context will drive them to find the answers. So in terms of how has it changed me, I think I'm very much excited again about science. It's sort of re-enthused me in terms of field work and particularly uh, what scientists are doing to better our world, understand our world. Make changes to improve our world, and that's what I'm trying to get across to the students. Uh, what we do now will impact our future, their kids' future, and uh, these scientists are really making a significant impact or difference to our environment.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that is so true. And uh, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about where else. Can those skills be applied, or those, you know, the practices of a scientist collecting data, classifying, then uh, using the data to make a decision? And I was thinking that like there's no real part of life where you can't apply the same methodology so i was thinking like let's say that you're a business student like okay you didn't like science or perhaps you thought business was um, some exciting area but you can use the same scientific methods to you know do product development for example where it does involve a lot of classification Uh, you need to go into the detail of a product you need to collect data from the market you know reclassify it use Repeatable algorithms to make decisions in a business process. So, really getting those basic scientific skills at an early age and uh, I suppose uh, apply them as part of your learning experience. Uh, These are skills that you can use in every aspect of life. Uh, Would you agree with that or uh, perhaps? Absolutely.
1: Oh, no, I couldn't agree more. And so part of this process, this uh, STEM learning in terms of problem-based learning, is all about developing skills for future learning, regardless of what that learning is. Mm-hmm. Solving problems, following processes, designing and redesigning, critiquing, all of those things um, can be applied to any area of learning or problem-solving. And that's what we're seeing across the board is students are bringing those skills to um, other other subject areas, other parts of their life, in their sport.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: <laughs> so in sport, it's not life. just, yeah, in sport it, it's so much. I mean, you're making decisions instantly. You're re-evaluating constantly. Um, you're trying to make strong decisions based on what you know. So all of those skills yeah. the kids will have for life and, and we're hoping that it sets them up for success, whatever, whatever they end up taking on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's just the applications of science are not just in science, they are in everything. It's just a, As an aside, I was reading a, a, an article about uh, how scientists are using computer models and supercomputers to model uh, the Tour de France, <laughs> which means, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, right. imagine you've got like 100 cyclists just spinning through our countryside in France and they have headwinds and the purpose of this model that ran on a supercomputer was to figure out which position in the pack and i'm not sure if i'm using the correct cyclist terminology but say a bunch <laughs> of cyclists that are cycling together which which position should you take in order to maintain maximum speed but at the lowest Energy expenditure, and uh, the, the model did tell them. So now this is information that uh, cyclist teams are using at like at the competitive level to train themselves and to be able to take advantage of uh, the the supercomputers' output in order to win mm. first place. <laughs> of course, yeah. this is one of many really sports.
1: <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you think of lots of examples like that,
0: couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Now, especially in sports and competitive uh, sports, <laughs> the incentives are so high. So in science plays a big part you know australian academy of sciences is one of the best in the world in this mm. um, could i ask you still um just one more question about your um your trip on board the RV sure. investigator in order to participate in a future expedition uh, do you need to be somebody with the technical backgrounds so or have already some science training or could perhaps an arts teacher an english teacher also participate
1: So it's not prescribed. So it's any teacher that wants to further their um, education uh, understanding of STEM. Mm -hmm. At primary school, high school, university, it's open to anyone. You you need to apply through CSIRO and their website is excellent. Um, The Educator on Board website has got a lot of information about it. But it's about um, explaining to them, why it is that you want to go on the the trip and what it is that you're going to do with that information. So for me, it was about furthering those contacts that I have um, outside to show the kids what happens in science Mm. beyond the classroom. Uh, For Callum, who was the other educator on board, it was about a better understanding of the ship in terms of uh, marine uh, science and maritime expedition. Uh, so you, we got quite different things out of it, but we are both taking our experience back to the classroom and inspiring our students with uh, greater knowledge as well as increased excitement about right. that um, area of learning. So it is it is open to anyone. You don't have to be a science teacher. Uh, you, you need to just be able to explain what it is that you're going to do with uh, your learning beyond
0: that trip right so you need to have a plan right you need to explain to the people at CSIRO that will actually have to go through all these applications and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of them uh, what you hope to get out of the trip and how you're going to use it to benefit your students apart from that yeah everyone right. is welcome that's right
1: Yeah, absolutely, because it is about, um, you know, getting out what what CSIRI are doing, what scientists are doing, um, getting out that that information out into the community and inspiring um, our students to, you know, take those sort of careers, so... Um, they're keen to get as many uh, teachers as they can on their uh, trips. I think I was on trip number two, and hmm. then they're about up to trip number four now.
0: Right. So it's a fairly new program. It I is think. a new
1: program. Um, I, th- I think yeah. uh, they're going to need the...
0: more ships. Uh, <laughs>
1: <that was going. laughs> more ships, yeah. more trips, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe once a week. <laughs> so
1: yeah, it, uh, that's right. And
0: they need probably more positions on uh, So they need a bigger ship as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully. No more, yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. It's, well,
1: a, it's quite a big ship anyway. It's got laboratories on board yeah. and um, huge communication rooms, and it's it's a massive massive ship. So it is, but uh, uh, not quite the cruise ship, and you still get sick.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, you need to pack uh, some warm clothing, um, and uh, I suppose utility clothing, and uh, stay warm because uh, <laughs> you know it's it is the south. Uh, a South Australian Sea, Barren Strait. It can get wet and cold down there.
1: Yeah, no, it was. It was certainly wet and cold. We had six metre seas, and uh, uh, yeah, it was. And it's seven floors, so you need to wear your sneakers and go up oh, and down, my, my le- yeah. fit legs when you get off the boat. <laughs> it's
0: not a cruise to the Caribbean. It's uh, much no, better. Nothing, nothing like a like cruise. <laughs>
1: Well, Christy, let's is, go into
0: rapid-fire questions now. I'm just going to ask you a few quick questions, and you can take time to answer them if you like. It's, it's okay. Uh, so let's see. Hmm. Is there a person, perhaps uh, fictional, could be real, could be fictional, could be a past teacher, that you believe has influenced you a lot in the way that you teach?
1: That's a really good question. <laughs> I don't know that I could narrow it down to one, Mm -hmm. but I would have to say that the Australian Science and Maths School. um, I've done a lot of work with with them, and they certainly have influenced how I teach problem based learning. Um, In terms of uh, science, I had a a science a biology teacher, Sheila Resnikoff was her name, Mm -hmm. and um, she was the most passionate, exciting excited teacher that I have ever had and I've never seen anyone so excited about biology um, except for maybe on the CSIRO <laughs> investigator now. <laughs> um, but uh, I think she really um, encouraged my curiosity in biology um, and so she's she definitely got me excited about science, um, and I think that was about yeah. year nine science. So well, long time ago. Yeah,
0: a long time ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so both of those people, um, and also uh, Kath Murdoch, um, has spoken at, at many things, and I really like the way she uh, turns questioning over to the students. I think she's also oh. influenced my way of teaching and. Uh, A local teacher, Brighton uh, Primary Assistant Principal, uh, Sue Gardboat, and I worked really closely together several years ago, and I think we both influenced each other's teaching Mm. because of our passion for problem-based learning. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. um, I
1: don't know that I actually answered your question. Yes, (laughs) you did. Uh,
0: um, It's interesting because when uh, pretty much everybody that I've asked this question uh, have said that it's not a, a single person that has provided influence, like it's accumulation of a lot of people over the years that shape them who they are. And of course, that makes total sense. But I just want to start with one and and see where that takes us. But yeah, I'm the same. I can't think of a single person that has influenced me. I've read so many people's uh, books and uh, I've had experiences with so many teachers and schools, universities, and I believe all that eventually shapes us into who we are. So great. Thank you for that. yeah. I guess another question that I want to ask is just a more technical question. Are there any software applications or technology, pieces of technology like gadgets uh, that you use to support your teaching that you could uh, recommend to others to have a look at? It could be things like okay. you know tools that you use to create content yeah. or that you use in your classroom, things like that.
1: So generally, when we're talking about um, STEM and solving a problem, I will um, have lots of resources for students to use. And it's about the students choosing the resource that best meets that need and that they're comfortable with. Um, So we have everything from, you know, robots and Bebots and Weedos Mm -hmm. and Edisons and all sorts of things. But I think the thing that I use most in my teaching in terms of uh, an app that supports my my teaching is actually called, is an evidence app. So it's about collecting um, evidence for assessment. And mm-hmm. um, I use that religious, religiously. Yeah. Um, and so I probably find that the most useful. Um, It's called Evidence for Learning and it's just an app that will allow you to collect student work, uh, record students talking about their learning, and then when it becomes report time, Uh, You've got a collation of all of the things that you've worked on with that student, your comments, um, you've recorded their learning, uh, you have work samples, and I just find that a really um, Hmm. helpful app for uh, assessment specifically.
0: Great. Is that an uh, application that is running on smartphones, like uh, iOS, Android?
1: Yeah. Great. Great. It's an Apple app called Evidence for Learning.
0: Great. We'll look it up and link it in our show notes. Uh, let's talk about advice. So let's so say you've got a, a new graduate of the education department in the university and they want to teach STEM. What would you advise them?
1: Um, I would advise them to have a close look at the engineering process design I would I would advise them to read Kath Murdoch's book, mm-hmm. but mostly I would advise them to bring people into the classroom and solve a real world problem. But you know it's really important that you do it with a clear process or clear structure behind. And so, whilst you're solving a real world problem and the students are directing it, you really need to have a clear process behind that so that the students aren't off task. Yeah. And that engineering design process of developing a question, uh, researching, developing a solution, going through a critique process, re evaluating, redesigning, and that circular motion of circular process of, of engineering design is really important to follow. Um, that process is really important because it keeps the kids focused on the solution yeah. um, and they don't get uh, sidetracked by external influences because yeah. it's, very, it's very easy for students to go off on tangents, but yeah. if they have a clear process that they need to stick to, um, a way of recording their research and their understanding and that notion that they are responsible to feedback to an industry partner yeah. uh, will keep them on track. So, All right, so have a process. that would be my advice.
0: Yeah, a uh, mm. uh, process is important. I guess uh, the, the process um, uh, would resemble the process that an engineer applies. That's uh, But you can yeah. adapt it to the circumstances of um, your classroom.
1: Yeah, and start small. You don't have to start with a giant in, um, national or international construction company, you can work with your local <laughs> kindergarten. Colonised <Or> your...
0: <laughs> <So>.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, just start small, build up to something. <laughs> yeah.
0: Great. Thank you for that. Well, um, do you mind if people get in touch with you to ask questions? And uh, if you don't, um, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: Oh, I don't mind at all. Um, it's probably best to uh, send me an email, actually. Yeah. So uh, I think you've got my email yeah. address we, that you can we put up can for people. We can put it up
0: in the episode page on this website.
1: Um,
0: are you on social media at all, on Twitter especially? It seems like a lot of teachers are on Twitter.
1: No, no, I'm not.
0: Okay. I guess you don't do Facebook either, which is a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not on social media. I, <laughs> I've decided not to take that uh, line. Yeah. So it's, it's really important for me to, I guess, keep my private life and my professional life separate. Absolutely. So, yeah, but email is just fine. I'm happy for for people to email me.
0: All right. Christy, I think you have a YouTube channel. Is that true?
1: Yes. So um, anything that I uh, film in terms of uh, STEM or digital technology learning with my students, uh, I will get permission, media permission from the kids and put it up on that channel. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's SDPS Teacher, Mm -hmm. Um, And there's several... Yeah, on YouTube. Um, There's several videos about kids talking about their learning as well as um, I think there's a couple of projects. One is the Fort Hogan project that we've talked about today. Another one is Amarum Cork uh, that we worked with last year. That's up there. Um, And as I finish uh, projects this year, we'll put some more stuff up there.
0: That is great. Thank you very much. Is it okay if we link your YouTube channel as well in the episode page?
1: Yeah, that's fine.
0: Great. Thank you, Christy. Well... Um, I'd like to thank you for your time this morning. I know you have to go on to a class, and I did hear the, the I think the bell <laughs> rang a couple of times, and yeah, uh, a lot sorry of uh, teachers that. No, no, perfectly fine. I thought, well, wow, this is the perfect background uh, for our interview, so it was great. So um, uh, thank you for your time. Um, I really appreciate it, and uh, the insights that you had, I found uh, both the engineering like collaboration and the trip that you did with the CSRL, with were amazing stories to have so I'm sure that our audience will appreciate uh, telling us those stories so uh, until next time um, I wish you all the best and uh, as we say make magic
1: thanks very much
0: that's all for this episode the notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Christy are available on our website, techexplorations.com forward slash p forward slash stimulus. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a gold mine of information in the notes. This stemiverse podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a friend or colleague to be our guest? Please email us at pa at Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, STEMiverse. That's S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.